0: No, I would go down there uh, to the Addiction Research Foundation, and try to find things out, but left my phone number a couple of times, and it was like it never happened. You know, it was almost like I-, I thought, did I dream this? You know, <laughs> no, I was really here. But yeah, never got any information. And and when we did leave, as Craig said, no follow up whatsoever. Not how are you physically, mentally, nothing. Yeah. It was like it never
1: happened. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de stress smoke sesh podcast.
2: I'm your host, Lit.
1: And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey
2: a journey to discover the truth and find the balance.
1: Every week, we get deep on those thought provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe.
2: But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture.
1: So kick back,
2: consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy, cozy and in the lit and lucid, lit and
1: lucid lifestyle. lifestyle.
2: Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It's Thursday and you know what time it is. We are here recording another episode of the show. Today we have some very special guests joining us from Canada. Uh, Back in Toronto in 1972, 20 young women took part in one of the weirdest scientific experiments in their country's history. For 98 days, 10 of these women were to smoke cannabis every night to help Canada's government determine if legalizing cannabis and thus smoking weed on a regular basis would kill their economy. Unfortunately, the findings from the experiment were never published, leaving the women involved in the study confused, still wondering today what happened with all of that data. So you guys, today we have one of the women from the experiment, Doreen Brown, as well as the director and writer of the marijuana conspiracy film, Craig Price, on our show to share the story of the marijuana conspiracy. With that, welcome Doreen and Craig.
3: Thank you very much. Hey, good to be here. Thank you.
1: Great. This is pretty awesome. I think, yeah, thank you both for joining us. Um, it's, it's, it's a treat to have both of you on and also be able to share uh, two different perspectives of this experiment. One from you, Doreen, of you were involved in the experiment. And then also mm-hmm. one with you, Craig, who kind of came upon it later. And then you kind of had the, the honor of writing about it and directing the film around it. Um, so I'm curious to start with you, Craig. You know, what were your initial thoughts when you were approached with this story? And, and you, know, you know, did anything come out and strike out to you at first?
3: Well, it's interesting because I actually came across the story myself. It was originally an article in the Toronto Star and and Diana wrote it. And it was just fascinating because she covered did such a good job, not only um, talking to the real woman from the experiment, but also captured the time and what was going on with marijuana in in, in Canada. Um, It was a very serious um, drug at the time, they thought. So you would actually get seven years in jail. So that alone was an interesting thing that happened. And so I met Diana and um, she had a lot of research, and um, then she, I, I took her on board as a consultant and associate producer because she was such a great asset. And she also brokered me to meet with some of the real women, including Doreen. And once I, I met them and heard their story, and um, there was very detailed interviews, it just, I just had to make it into a film. And um, I just was fairly busy with, the, with my TV series, and I finally found this window to get it made, and um, I'm really happy that I did. So that's sort of the short form answer.
2: (laughs) Interesting. Well, then for you, Doreen, you know, at the age of 21, you saw the posting for this experiment, this government experiment, nonetheless, to legally consume cannabis while being tested and analyzed by research. What were your initial thoughts? And then kind of how did that evolve throughout the experiment?
0: Um, Yeah, uh, there were um, radio ads, I guess, about the experiment smoke weed and get paid for it so that was kind of enticing and uh i actually i did hear about it but i actually learned about it from a, a colleague of mine and um she had gone down and applied and it was the last day and she was talking about it. i thought oh what the heck i'll go so i went down and i got in so not obviously knowing what to expect uh quit my job right away uh, we had to have psychological tests and physical tests just to get into this experiment. And they did apparently have a few thousand women that did apply. Oh. So it was like unique. I thought, oh, this is great. But my job yeah. gave up the place where I was living and uh, just went there on a whim, actually, not really knowing what was ahead.
2: Yeah. It was so- an adventure. <laughs> and so give us a little bit of insight on kind of what happened through those 98 days. Okay.
0: um, Well, when we got in there, it was, uh, again, we were in, it was uh, a hospital corridor. It was at the Addiction Research Foundation. And uh, the 20 of us met. We had dinner the first night. Uh, Again, excited. uh, Not scared, but I'd say more excited. What are we getting ourselves into? And uh, we met each other. And within, I think, the second or maybe third day, they divided us into two groups. So there was the smoking side, which is the one I got on. And then the other side that uh, didn't smoke they could buy it if they wanted to but it was wasn't what we were smoking at all and it started off great it was fun met uh you know 10 different women we changed the hospital corridor into a friendly hippie corridor (laughs) (laughs) we uh we were taught how to weave these belts and um we weave like crazy and ordered rock albums and all candles and all kinds of cool groovy stuff and uh, turned it into uh yeah, it was great. Actually. We also ordered a lot of alcohol. One of the women's women in the park. <laughs> so we ordered that as well. And then, uh, you know, it started out, it was fun. every night at a certain time in the lounge, they brought us two joints on a restaurant tray that, that you get the bill on and you had to smoke it by yourself, you couldn't pass it around. They even checked the roach to make sure <laughs> that you don't smoke right down. And we had a couple of drinks in the beginning and all was fine. Fell asleep in the lounge floor a few times and my room was right across the hall from the lounge. But uh, as time went on, things got a bit more serious because they started to increase the uh, THC content. So it got heavier and heavier and eventually it wasn't fun anymore at least for me but i know for a few women as as well we were kind of struggling mm-hmm. because again and it, it was drudgery every night at the same time smoking two joints by yourself uh you couldn't pass them around and it just got to be a chore and yet you had to have a doctor's certificate to get out of it you know to Right. If you want to not smoke one night or something, and I don't think anyone ever did really, so it it didn't become fun anymore. And throughout this whole experiment that we were being watched, I think it was every half hour writing down what we were doing. We had to uh, pay for everything if we had a shower, if we watched the TV, we ran the stereo. They wanted to make it up like a room and board situation. Hmm and um and we had tests the whole time psychological tests we had to see the psychiatrist blood tests continually and so after a while it wasn't fun and of course we were isolated we couldn't go out we couldn't see anyone we knew we couldn't have any phone calls so things got pretty heavy
2: yeah Well, and that's kind of what the video showed, you know, it was really fun and games at the beginning. It was like this cool little, you know, hippie hangout and everybody was having a good time and then things definitely changed. And we're going to dive into a little bit more about, you know, some theories as to, you know, why maybe you guys got a little bit higher potency and things changed at that point. But very interesting. Um, And I also saw that you guys even had to have like certificates afterwards, like saying you weren't drug addicts because of all the testing you went under.
0: Yeah, for the needle marks in our arms, if we had the needle marks, yeah. We all got a letter. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> that would have been exhausting. I couldn't have done blood drawn every day or whatever it was. <laughs> but- yeah, I know. It
0: was it was crazy, really. It really was when you think of it now. Yeah. It was the isolation really that you know that, who's gonna sit down and soak two joints at the same time, not pass them around, yeah. you know, every night. And under the, that situation, it was a uh, surreal, bizarre, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of weed to be smoking. I mean, Lucy and I, we sit down every night and we enjoy a, a joint and we're not in any government experiment, but we can usually barely finish like <laughs> one with the two of us, you know? So that's one of the first things we remarked of like two joints and they can't share it like that is yeah. probably like a little bit abnormal to any kind of normal smoker anyway. So. And you guys could smoke one and go out for a walk
0: or whatever. Right. <laughs> we could right.
1: do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's kind of backtrack and just talk about, uh, you know, the seventies at the time. I know back in, you know, uh, coming into the seventies, that's kind of fresh out of like the Hit Me movement of the sixties. And at the same time, in the seventies, uh, in the U.S. at least, you had this large, you know, war on drugs that was getting kind of ramping up at the time. You know, what was the sentiment like in, in Canada at the time? Was it similar? Uh, was it a large like anti-drug? Uh, kind of uh, pulse, kind of pulsing throughout the community or kind of what, what was it like well, with marijuana?
3: What was going on is that there was um, the federal government, like, like I mentioned earlier, you could get seven years in jail for simple possession of a joint. So um, they decided to do some study, it was called the, the Ludane Report, where they wanted to look at the seriousness of marijuana. So they were looking at, you know, to maybe, maybe decriminalize it. And that's a big step from seven years. In prison, and um, it's because people, younger people at the time, they couldn't go to college, they couldn't get jobs, they go to jail basically. So at the, that was the federal level, but and so they were doing their own tests to look at, you know, what was happening with marijuana. But at the provincial level, which would be like at the state level, the government at the time was conservative, and they were dead set against this. So they decided they were going to do their own experiments, and um, and there was funding for that, of course. One of these experiments is the ones that Doreen was in. They wanted to look at the effects of marijuana on females, on women, particularly. And what happened was um, they uh, they sort of had two things going on. They had the uh, scientists who were doing all the, the physiological data, but they also, it was a social study, like a, like an anthropological study. There was this sort of hippie dude, so, uh, Guy Barry. Who wanted to study the girls and see what they was like, and and he thought he set up a microeconomy, which is why, as Doreen said, they had to pay for their showers and things like that. So it started out with an automatic assumption that the it was a study in productivity, and they thought that the the smokers would become unproductive, lethargic, not produce at the higher level, not make as much money. Um, not know how to manage their budget. They sort of thought it would prove that they gotta make this illegal because it'll be the end of the world and the economy if we legalize this stuff. So that's sort of the backstory. And they went in with certain preconceived ideas. The the Addiction Research Foundation, which is the Ontario government, the provincial one. And then Barry, the social scientist, was sort of like, well, whatever happens, man, like let's just mm-hmm. let it all fly and <laughs> we'll see. So he, he didn't he didn't seem to have as much of an agenda. But everybody in the film. Um, seems to have something going on, which makes it really interesting. And and, and how the study itself started to change and morph because um, it's an understatement to say the THC levels were amped up. They were, they were severely amped up daily. They went up. Mm. The interesting thing was some of the women uh, still performed and had the same ambitions, even though they were strung out. Or, and like really, the next morning it was really tough for them, and some would get up even earlier because they had that. Everyone had different reasons to be there, and the interesting thing you know, in my opinion about the film is that this is a great backstory the human experimenting and the whole, the politics, the mores, the laws of it at that time. And some of them were pretty draconian. But on top of that, it's really about the, we focused on five young women who went through this and their story and where they came from and how they came together and how they dealt with this together and got through it. And some didn't do as well as others. So it's, it's really, to me, the, the nicest part of the film is, is the actual sisterhood and then a very unlikely one and these characters because when i met them uh the real uh, women um i told them i said you know i'm not going to use your real name um it's not like it's it's a it's a piece it's a feature film so it's it's fictionalized to a certain extent but we i didn't have to fictionalize much because by not using their name and doing what i called hybrid characters i took all their stories and blended them a little bit um they were sort of protected from being identified and with that came a lot of honesty Uh, with me about, you know, what they wouldn't necessarily be in a Toronto Star article because they were in your name. And they were very like people like Doreen and stuff. They were so open and honest and vivid that it really made it uh, a real, it it made it a better script it made a better film because I could really get a sense of what was going on and what was going on with them.
2: And you totally did. Like, I loved it. It was kind of like a chick flick. But like, I I don't know, like, I was way more into it, I think, than Jared was, because, you know, you kind of do you get into, you know, the women relationships. Uh, But during the whole time, I kept telling Jared too, like, which one is Doreen? And I think by the end, I figured out who you were. But like you said, it wasn't explicit. (laughs) <laughs> Who was I? <laughs> well, you were the one. Well, I, I backtracked today and reread the article. Um, I think the uh, one that you were referring to. But you were the one that played the joke on the nurse, right? True. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I did. I did. And were but you that al- was only part of it. Were part you also the one that um, liked the guy? Was that you or not you? No. That wasn't no. you. <laughs> no. See? It's Another tough. one. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your was name in a on the show? Of them <laughs> Pardon? What was your name on the show? Well, I related to one, Mary. Mary, okay. I, yeah.
0: <laughs> I related to a lot of parts of that
1: character.
2: That's awesome. See, so we're gonna have to go back and rewatch it. Yeah.
1: Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of that character. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's good though. I think um I think how the film was portrayed though was was wonderful because I think you have to have a little bit of a backstory to understand uh the women who are part of this, otherwise you look at it almost in the sense of probably how the government was looking at it as just like test subjects and numbers and data and, and that's all stuff that I think you guys got turned off by and we're just trying to figure out later of like, what did they know about us and, and kind of, you know, what did they, what, what all came of all this and have you guys ever figured out any of the data or any of the kind of the back end story or whatever came of the experiment, even with putting together the film and everything? No,
0: as far as I know, no.
2: Nothing.
3: Yeah, the only thing that, that, that I found out was that um, it still exists, apparently, because this is what Diana found out in, in Ottawa, they have a huge um, um, archive there. And apparently it's there. And um, it's it's just, again, the whole theory about the conspiracy of why it wasn't, it was very valuable data at the time. They had fantastic data details about not just sociological, physiological effects of marijuana, and um, but they were, again, in our opinion, they, they thought that this wasn't shaping up the way that they wanted it to. And I think the social aspect of it really showed more than anything that they, they managed to be so functioning. And, um, and like I say, they, they stacked the odds against them. So that it was nice to see the determination. And, you know, there's a, a scene, and it's again, it's all true where they, they stood up to the man mm-hmm. back then. There was their boss was the man and it, it showed they had that spirit, but then they got manipulated again with, you know, well, we'll give you a bit more. And they do awful stuff. Like if you leave, you can only get half if, Right. Which is totally illegal now. There's so many things they did that would never, well, hopefully never happen again. A lot of things are still going on. That's another story with some of the themes of this movie. But, but you um, you know, you they took away the incentive. Like they said, well, if you leave, because they only had 10 and 10. And nowadays, to do a control group, you have thousands. And it goes on for 20 years, not 98 <laughs> days. But... I wouldn't want to see Doreen in there for 20 years.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to die in there. <laughs> She's
2: like, please get me out.
0: Well, yeah. do you, yeah.
2: what do you think, Doreen? Did you feel like your productivity went down or up during this whole experiment? How did you feel?
0: Well, I was different because I didn't go in there to make money. So I really didn't come out with very much. I think we got two, $250 for completing it. And that's basically what I came out with. I made a belt or two a day to live. You could live on a belt or two and buy buy your food, some snacks. And, but uh, that wasn't my motive. However, a, a couple of the women, a few of them that did go in to make money, they did make money. They were very disciplined, actually. I was the opposite. So I never went in for that reason. I think, well, there, we all went in, I think, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But money
2: wasn't
1: my motive. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And just kind of how the whole um, kind of experiment kind of shapes up and everything. I'm sure everybody has a different takeaway. And I'm curious to hear from, you know, I heard Craig mention a few of the themes of the movie. I would love to hear from each of you kind of what are your takeaways from at least, you know, maybe the film and then also just the experience that uh, still, you know, still have some credence today?
0: Well, I know for me personally, and and Craig is probably sick of hearing me say this, but uh, I I thought Craig did an amazing job with this movie. Uh, When I saw it, I really uh, did feel like I was there, not only in the experiment, but in 1972, the social atmosphere, the cultural, political. I I thought that, uh, for him, he brought me right back there. And so when I watched this movie, I was very nostalgic. I was emotional. I was near tears a few times watching it. So it really uh, touched my heart. It really, it really meant a lot to me.
3: Thank you. I can never hear that enough. First of all, <laughs> okay, I'll say um, it again. I yeah, I mean, not to not to divert too much, but I, I was much more nervous um, with with Doreen and the others seeing it, uh, what they thought of it, and I got some lovely emails uh, from the others and from Doreen, and it meant a lot to me because. That, that, you know, that is the essence of getting it right when the people who live through it. As far as the themes and things and the takeaways, uh, for me personally, even when I was writing it, it just sort of surprised me the parallels that are still going on, whether we talk about the racism that's happening now, obviously. Um, and also just manipulation by government. Look, even what's going on with information with both governments now we have, you know, about vaccines and what's real and what's not and, and people having agendas and telling you certain things and not others and fake news and real news. and There's so much still where people, you know, so that's still a parallel. Um, the other interesting thing for me is just the human condition and how people, what they experience together and collectively, it's it's they're, they're very universal. Like they, they can relate to, to everyone. But the biggest surprise for me, not surprise, but this was right before COVID. And they, when I interviewed all of them, they, um, they said the hardest thing wasn't the the, the the forced marijuana consumption. It was the isolation. Mm-hmm. And we've all experienced lockdowns and social isolate, isolation, and, et cetera. And so that really became almost haunting. The movie had a different meaning for me when I watched it because I said, wow, like that scene, you know, we got more as we shot it. I won't get into the technical stuff, but we got tighter and tighter with – the framing and the close-ups, the rooms got more and more unkempt and the people, like it became more disheveling and, and, and not it wasn't framed the same, just to get that psychological aspect. Mm-hmm. And you experience them now. You say, oh my God, like this is like, I've been in this place for so long. We still have lockdown in Toronto right now because our vaccination program isn't at your level. Um, and we're getting there. But my point is, is that, the, so there's so many things that I, I just thought, wow, this is still happening. And so many things are still happening. And even, you know, with marijuana and there's people still in jail for that. And there's still um, a lot happening with censorship and prejudice against it because even with certain mainstream media, they they're not they, they're shy away from this. Uh, social media censors us because we have marijuana in our title as far as doing booths or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, marijuana companies can't sponsor us because it's it, and even though it's not promoting marijuana, it's not a pro pop film, it's not an anti pop film, it's decide for yourself. But But so there's still a lot of like control, even in the marijuana industry. There's so many regulations here and in many states that it's sort of, um, yeah, it's 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 still going on. All the things that happened then are happening now in different ways, you know.
2: And was that something you were exposed to before this? Like, were you aware of all these different laws and regulations with cannabis or did you learn them along the way?
3: Well, I learned them along the way and then I looked at the regs themselves. I, I know Bill 135, ba- I think it's 135 backwards because, you know, and, and um, it was just interesting because I also was fascinated. I don't want to give any spoiler alerts away, but the, I, I also did a lot of research to just the, 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 what, was, what you go to jail for in 1972 was shocking. Um, and again, I won't give it away, but it wasn't just marijuana and it was like incredible what could be considered a capital offense. Um, we've, again come a long way in some ways with that but so just I, I I was fascinated too with just the time and getting it right as far as how people and this is what the interesting thing about the psychiatrist in it Paulino Nunez who does a great job he's sort of like the one who gives the backstory through through all the young women he meets, but also shows what kind of prejudices went on and assumptions and, and stereotypes? And some people go, Oh, yes. Well, that was like, and it's like, no, it was, it was very common then. This was, mm-hmm. this was not an unusual man to have these attitudes and to have, you know, he, he, he wasn't evil. He just thought, well, this is the way it is. And this is the way you, I can change things and, you know, and be so sort of stubborn. So that was really interesting too. Just the laws were happening and they're not that uncommon to what was going on in the States with your war on drugs then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's still, like I say, some, states are dead set against legalizing it and they're trying to deal with it federally with the more act
2: yeah no it's crazy i mean back then i just finished reading this book about the 70s and you can go to jail for five to seven years for an eighth. Mm-hmm. i mean we've got an eighth sitting on our table right now a couple of them <laughs> so that's just crazy you know it's my blowing. Yeah.
1: i think um and then also what we've been kind of learning about in the past you know a couple months now has been about the beat movement in the 60s and uh, there was a lot of things going on in the U.S. at the same time that started in the 50s and kind of bled into the 60s a bit. And is a program called MK Ultra. And I'm not sure if you guys are aware of it or not, but we, that's where Lucy and I, uh, you know, the timing was impeccable with you guys reaching out. Because we were becoming aware of it through the angle of, uh, of LSD and a gentleman named Ken Kesey and uh, oh, the yeah. Grateful Dead. And, and Ken Kesey yeah. did a very, very, very similar thing to you, Doreen, but it was with acid. He did an acid test with with the government, with Stanford in uh, the early 60s. And um, it was just really interesting, the parallels that you had, that also Kesey had, and then also just Kesey's story and how the counterculture movement worked its way through the 60s. Um, It became obvious to Lucy and I towards the end of, we really dug into a lot of different things, and it became obvious to us that the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, Um, Was doing a lot of different tests and a lot of different things uh, all over the place, and a lot of it was shaped to a lot of it was built, I guess, to shape public perception. And the counterculture movement of the '60s, a lot of that, in our opinion, was geared to actually create an anti-drug sentiment within the U.S. Uh, Whereas, if you were a part of the '60s or uh, you know, a part of the hippie, you probably had no clue. You thought it was like a great renaissance of freedoms, and um, it was kind of a little bit misleading. And so then we kind of learned about your story and that started in the 70s and it really kind of followed the same path of uh, maybe something that on the surface looks promising and that uh, might yeah. lead to some great social change but um, under the surface could have very well been disguised as a as a project to uh, sway public opinion um, towards the negative end of the spectrum uh, any right. thoughts on that from either one of you
0: no i agree with you actually and uh, i have ken casey's books at home actually <laughs> 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 I I really thought they were great times. Like looking back, and I I know what you're saying, and you're right. But I did move. I was living in a suburb in Toronto, and I moved downtown, and and that's where the action was. That's where the hippie culture was. Um, Yorkville was a thriving little hippie community. I lived there for a while. Um, the Beat Generation. Mm-hmm. We had folk singers, Joni Mitchell, all kinds of, Bob Dylan, all kinds of people played in Yorkville, and it was great. So I I still managed to have a full-time job, but I was always uh, down there all the time, and it was great, but if you went outside of that, well, it was very conservative, and even in Yorkville, then they used to have paddy wagons uh, there every Friday, Saturday night, and they'd be arresting a whole bunch of people for drugs. Marijuana, hash, whatever. Acid. and Because you could get anything there. Yeah. You named the drug and it was there. But every Friday night and Saturday night, the paddy wagons were there. They'd fill them and take them to the police station, come back and get more. It, it was crazy when I think of it now.
1: <laughs> it's kind of contradictory because that's kind of how we looked at the 60s. I mean, Lucy and I are like far away from that and we're pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, but just looking back at it, it did seem like the 60s it, it was like open, you know, like drugs seemed to be kind of a little more culturally yeah. accepted, or at least there was a lot of experimenting with drugs going on. And then when you look at the 70s, it's, it's just such like stark contrast, really, that you could tell like something went amiss in there, where like, you know, then in the 70s, the, everything really started to clamp down, and um, everything, yeah. all these drugs are being rescheduled, and uh, there's a lot of yeah. funding put into to arresting people.
3: Um, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the other interesting thing about, about that whole cycle is, it, it's it's really the political cycle um, and who's in power and what their agendas yeah. are and if they are hard left or, or middle or, or hard right and you know often when there's right wing it becomes very punitive and and um, they want to you know arrest people and like spend a lot more money putting it into incarcerating and, and policing as opposed to just educating and, and, and helping and learning and, and they and, and as most politicians then it's still today to a certain extent but they were all older. Um, men who were very conservative, and that's kind of why I, I like the, you know, with um, John, the boss of Barry, how he's always drinking his martinis and thinks there's no problem with it. It's you know, it's sort of that parallel between <laughs> the alcoholic and the pothead, and it was really I interesting. I love
2: that at the beginning of the show. That <laughs> yeah. was the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: And and really, details came out. Like um, one of the one of the producers, he was around then, um, and he said. You you can't put to Barry, who's the hipster um, scientist. He goes, you can't put the roach in the in the ashtray. You have to swallow it. He goes, why? He goes, because if that's in the ashtray, you can get busted. So he did about five or six takes. The actor. uh, you know, Gregory, uh, he swallowed the roach right on, you know, and he go, he didn't feel like lunch <laughs> after all that, but, <laughs> you know, so those kind of details came up. It was, it was, but it really was, uh, you know, it was, I mean, I, I was sort of the late seventies was my time, like for high school and things, but I was around then. I certainly saw what was going on and stuff and, you know, but they were just considered freaks and all this. And they, you know, most people look back and say, well, oh, that looked like fun. <laughs>
0: so fun it was
1: (laughs) yeah we you might like this we just had uh, David Crosby from Crosby Stills and Nash oh wow he, he did a lot with Joni Mitchell and uh, we taught you, David had a ton of I fun. I love he's, them. He's still having fun. And so he never, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. He never left the 60s. He's still grooving. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love them. I had all their albums. <laughs> I That's love it. so great. Well, I do think the other part of that is is I do think, you know, today in 2020 and 2021, I almost think we're seeing a resurgence of maybe the 60s in a way of, you know, the, the way that drugs were viewed. And now a lot of different states in the U.S. are trying to look at, you know, at least decriminalizing all drugs to a certain extent. Um, we're looking at, you know, marijuana clearly and then also looking at different psychedelics. Um, so it is almost kind of like, you know, maybe the the tide's shifting a bit. And it, it's absolutely due to, as you, Craig, said, said the, uh, the political climate. Um, you know, what do you think, Dorian? Do you think that, you know, tides are shifting more so now than they were back in the 60s where we could see, you know, marijuana legalization way more accepted?
0: I think so. I, I think they are. Yeah. Uh, I know when I uh, went out of the experiment, came out of it. I couldn't, I didn't tell anybody. I mean, I would have jobs and it was so conservative. I wouldn't even dare mention it to an employer. I was afraid to. Mm-hmm. So right. I, it was kind of something that you didn't say now, of course, it really isn't a big deal, but I, I do think the tides are turning slowly, but I think they're turning
3: for sure. And one interesting thing that's happening is microdosing, you know, with psychedelics and um, you know, it's probably the pharmaceuticals' worst nightmare, but big pharma, but unless they try and take a take in it. But I've been reading more and more about it and, and hearing firsthand accounts uh, with treating things like depression and anxiety and uh, being, being like I say, you know, with mushrooms and other, even, you know, um, the horse one um, H, I think, I what it's called. But you're seeing them taking what were considered taboo drugs and yeah. psychedelics and finding out you know with the right dosing it can actually help help your um, with your depression and anxiety and things and it's not it's actually growing I think it's real because if there's been enough valid science and, and serious scientists now doing studies and and firsthand people talking about their experiences and things so that's that's quite fascinating
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I think I think you're totally right. And I think it is going to be the medical aspect of all this that really comes out that I think is like the, the wave that pushes this all forward. And it almost sounds yeah. like really from the, the marijuana conspiracy, the movie, and then also the experiments you did, Doreen, where the the uh, the people implementing the experiments probably became aware that there was a lot of, you know, ulterior benefits to marijuana um, compared yeah. to the downfalls. And it sounds like maybe that's even why some of the data was, was hidden or uh, things were changed is because even you guys alone prove that a lot of those stigmas and, and the different things that were attached to marijuana probably aren't necessarily true. And so I think as sure. we just continue to break down barriers and stories like your own and people start speaking out, I mean, you know, just the simple fact of being able to create a movie like this alone and share it publicly, I mean, is, is pretty ballsy sure. uh, and like mm. probably not something sure. you could have done so much 10 years ago.
3: Yeah. And there's some people who, who aren't, happy about that
1: you know so it's
3: it's, it's interesting i go why, why is that person not liking it? oh i get it it's, you know because people are divided and there's still stigma yeah that <laughs>
2: that was one of my questions like did you feel like there was any risk in you producing this film
3: you know not necessarily a risk but i was surprised when i was going out and to try and get funding and things i was surprised at like when we were shooting like i said earlier the publishers would say it was a lot of people don't want to cover this because it's still to their readers. It's a stigma, marijuana. Mm-hmm. And then I had three or four, um, weed companies, growers who I'll also, and they, they come to me and say, I, I, you know, we're interested, but it's to our community. There's a lot of combustible, meaning smoking in your film. Um, I don't think it's good for our image. I'm going to look over your image. You sell the damn <laughs> stuff, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah. You
3: know? And, and then I had, like I say, and then I, I, to try and deal with the with big social media. Like, so it's, it's still going on, but I think it's, it's, it's changing generationally. I think that, you know, with a lot of things uh, you know, my kids' generation, they're just more accepting and open to so many more things than, than, than other generations. So there is hope in that respect for sure. You know?
2: Mm-hmm. And what about you Doreen? Are you still a cannabis consumer yourself? No, surprisingly,
0: not really. No, <laughs> I got so sick of it. <laughs> uh, no, I would say in, uh, the 49 years, I maybe had the equivalent of maybe two joints altogether.
2: Wow. Yeah. A tough
0: here and there. Uh, I mean, uh, most of the people I know, smoke. Uh-huh. I think it's great, but it was something, I don't know. I think I just, I, it, it was too much yeah. in the situation. i mean i might start again when i'm 75 i don't know (laughs) i mean i'm open to it but uh right now up until then no and i'm around a lot of people that smoke daily and it's interesting it's interesting because one of
3: the real women from the experiment um she uses it daily um and uh she does it through her brownies because she can't smoke anymore like it's not good for her lungs or whatever because she had some problems but um it's like she deals it helps her with sleep and it helps her with pain management and that's a whole other aspect that you know it like and like i say i sorry i meant special k when i was talking about one of the other uh, things they're microdosing with but so it's really interesting how um now she was on the the one who still consumes daily was on the non-smoking side so i wonder if she if she was was force fed it for uh, 98 (laughs) days maybe she'd have a different thing it's like you eat too much candy it's like you know (laughs) but anyways she's she's very open about it and very very proud about it so you know it and and um even her license plate you know it has pod in it so she, <laughs> she's a real advocate and so it's and that's what's so interesting to me is to to see where they all are now even and uh it's great because uh some of them still keep in touch and and see each other and um you know but but there there was anger uh with some of them and I can't speak for Doreen but they did try to find out and follow up and um Doreen can talk a bit about that but but there was certainly W- yeah. with most of them i talked to they were really really upset that they went. they put their bodies through this they actually thought this was for in the name of the science mm-hmm. so sort to of speak and um and it really bothered them that they just there was no they didn't even follow up to see how they were <laughs> let alone what the results were and and you know it's, it's it's really upsetting to them
1: yeah yeah i mean i mean you uh so i mean barry was a part of this and i'm sure barry's probably a pseudonym but uh, did mm-hmm. you ever talk to anybody or get any confirmation from the government that he, this even happened and there's there anything now, left?
0: No, I would go down there uh, to the addiction research foundation and try to find things out, but left my phone number a couple of times and it was like, it never happened. You know, it was almost like I, I thought, did I dream this? <laughs> you know, no, I was really here, but yeah, never got any information. And, and when we did leave, as Craig said, no follow up whatsoever. not how are you physically, mentally, nothing. Yeah. it was like it never happened. so you sure, there's anger, um I don't let it consume me, obviously forty nine years later, but yeah, you feel a bit ripped off. it's like, yeah, I did this ninety eight days, and uh who knows? Never heard anything about it
3: and the and the interesting thing about Barry is that. Uh, the real Barry, um, there was a lot of information on him through Diana, who wrote the article. He'd passed, so I didn't get to meet him. Oh, okay. um, right. But he, uh, you know, he thought he was doing a good thing. It, he wasn't the, the government, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the physiological. he was the the social study. He just, uh, he just did a thing, a study before this, in Roachdale, which was was a real hippie place in, in Yorkdale in the, or by Yorkdale in the 60s. So he went in there with open eyes, but it's interesting because um, a lot of people, and and I and I really like when they say this. They say, you know, some of the characters I really liked at the start of the film. By the end, I I didn't really like what happened, and some of them I really didn't like at the start, and I loved them by the end. And these are real arcs, you know. It's this is real life, so that was really um, interesting. But I do think that with Barry, he had good intentions, and um, he did, you know. It's and he thought he was one of them, you know. And he thought this this whole idea though that people could be sitting around with clipboards and watching their every move and thinking he's getting a natural you know it's it's, it's sort of like you know going and studying apes with 30 people around and, right. you, know, you know like it just it was so unnatural I yeah. mean yeah it, it, you know and I just there's some just interesting shots in the film where they're standing there with their clipboards and following them around and mm-hmm. it's it's you know and, and near the end it sort of feels almost like a bit of a horror film because right. the, the, the tone does <laughs> the tone does shift because their story changed and their, their state of mind changed. So I just really um, thought it was interesting how, you know, and everybody, the Addiction Research Foundation certainly did not expect the results. And that was clear. And I think that everybody, there's a consensus there, but it's, it's interesting that they had so many stereotypes. So they did learn. I wish that more of it was public, including by the way, effects of marijuana on, on women, they thought it was, they were become promiscuous and they had all these, you know, they, they'd play the, Saxophone on the roof, nude, and jump <laughs> off the roof. And <laughs> I
0: it wish it was like, going <laughs> to.
3: <laughs> but there was like this real um, crazy paranoia, you know, and that, this yeah. is after the 60s. Maybe they saw them in the 60s, Said, oh, see, that's what happens. They just had so many stereotypes. And, um, you know, so it was interesting. And, and like I say, the federal government wanted to look at it differently, but there's even a conspiracy there because at that time it was mainly, you know, punks and, and, uh, you know, common criminals that were using weed and it became like a suburban drug. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, judges and lawyers and and politicians, sons were getting caught. And it's like, oh my God, dude, I don't want my son going to jail for you know, it's different now because <laughs> if they're a kid. And there was a lot of them, you know, some of them were even using marijuana. Uh, you know, so that that's why at the start, those black and white clips, it's funny because the one guy outs everybody. He doesn't say he's go, I know cabinet ministers that do what I do. And it's like shocking because this was he was basically saying that it's becoming a, a very common recreational drug in 72 and so they thought well we better look at this because i don't want my kid in jail for seven years
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know right yeah who
3: cares about the punk but you right. know, <laughs> my kid, you know.
1: <laughs> so wasn't it uh is it wasn't it justin trudeau's father the current prime yeah. minister wasn't his, yeah. his father at the time pierre yeah. And, yeah. He, and he wanted marijuana legalization right yeah how ironic
3: is that is <laughs> <laughs> and then his son did it yeah yeah he pierre. did yeah He certainly didn't want it. He knew it was a big jump to go to legal, but he knew that at least to to make your first crime a misdemeanor is a long a fine to go from a fine to seven years in jail. He it's it was the first step to legalization was his father. How interesting, full circle,
1: really full circle. Yeah. Well, I think what also that illustrates is just the timetable just to create this change. I mean, Mm fifty years almost like that is like Mm -hmm. so long just for something so simple. Yep. Yeah. And so I think, think. Yeah. I mean, just think about all the other things that we're trying to change in society and just, you know, uh, strap your boots on because it's probably going to be a while. And a lot yeah. Work. Yeah. Cool.
2: All right. Well, I know all of our listeners are probably dying to learn how you listen and watch this show. So where can they find the marijuana conspiracy?
3: Well, right now it's um, on, out on digital um, and on demand. So basically every cable... Carries it on demand. We already did our virtual theater because of the theater situation. We did it virtually, the theatrical. Um, Samuel Goldman Films has it. They're a great distributor in the states, so it's basically on every digital platform. You know, like Apple and Amazon and uh, all all of those. You know, Fan, fen, whatever it's called. <laughs> <endor>. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but if you, whatever, wherever you watch your movie, whatever platform you watch it, whether it be uh, digital or on on demand, it'll be there. Um, and that's that's a uh, that's the stage right now with the releasing of it.
2: Very
1: cool. I love it. Well, this has been exciting, guys. I think uh, I think everything we learned from you guys' uh, movie and your story, Doreen, is really incredible. Um, you know, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, and I'm sorry you had that experience, but I'm hoping just you kind of speaking out and sharing the story and then you, Craig, putting together the film, I think just awareness is the first step for anything. And I think the more right. people we can make aware of at least what's happening and just the history – of marijuana legalization and just the social stigmas that have been around it. I think the faster we can all use that to, to break down these barriers that still exist today. So thank you both for sure. having the courage to put this together and stand behind it and share it.
3: Yeah, we appreciate that. You're very that. welcome. Yeah. And thank you. For, thanks for putting a spotlight on the real story as well as the movie. Appreciate yes, it.
0: Thank you.
2: You are welcome. Uh, one last question for you both. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid?
3: I'm oh. about to get lit.
2: <laughs> I'm a bit of
1: both, but
2: I might consider getting lit
1: later. actually.
0: why
2: not? <laughs> that's exciting. All right. Well, thank you both. Everybody, go check out the marijuana conspiracy. Really cool show. Thank you, Doreen, and thank you, Craig, for all. Thank you, you guys. Too. Thanks
0: thank a lot. You. Bye
1: bye.
2: All right, Bye-bye. you guys. With that, I'm lit.
1: I'm lucid. And that's it. Later's. <laughs>